as we find ourselves in your presence today, we are thankful for that night divine in which you entered this world in a very unexpected way to embrace very unexpected ministry, to accomplish a very unexpected purpose. No one thought that a Messiah would give his life for those who were guilty of sin against him. Yet that's exactly what Jesus did for us. And that process started when he left heaven and came to this earth on that divine night. So, Father, help us today to grasp the depth of your love for us. Help us to see how the great sacrifice of Jesus makes it possible for us to have eternal life today. And all of God's people said, Amen and Amen. Well, to invite you to turn to Mark chapter 15 with me this morning as we think about the unexpected sacrifice, and we'll unpack that in just a few minutes. But uh, my goodness, the kids uh, one are even getting changed after the baptism. I, I heard them singing, and, and you'll have a chance to hear them tonight at 5 o'clock in the FLC for our family Christmas celebration. So even if you don't have a child or a grandchild involved in that, I would encourage you to, to attend and to uh, show your support in that way for them. And of course, this is Christmas week, uh, guys, who keep saying that uh, you got one more Saturday, you ain't. Uh, those days are done, so this is your, your friendly reminder from your pastor, because I love you, men. Christmas, by the time we meet again, Christmas will have come and gone. So go out to the Dollar Tree or Dollar, General, dollar and a Quarter Tree, sorry, uh, since they changed, uh, and uh, get that taken care of. I'll just say a lot of people, I mean, they say every kiss begins with K, uh, but Jared starts with J, all right? That's just me helping you out just a little bit there. Thank you, choir instrumentalist. Uh, Kenneth is out today. He's got his uh, second son, was graduating from the University of Florida today, uh, or his first son, his second born, I should say. Uh, he may wish it was the second son. It was also getting done. I don't know why all week he kept going through the office saying, two down, one to go, two down, one to go. But uh, they're enjoying that celebration uh, today. And so Dave, uh, thank you so much, Brother Dave, for, for filling in for him today, for leading us in worship so well. Uh, Jesus, as we've looked at these last several weeks, and we're going to put a bow today on our series, Unexpected, as we have, have walked up toward Christmas through the, the biblical narrative, and we have seen how Jesus was just an unexpected Savior, a Messiah, in so many ways. The things that He did, the, the qualities He embraced, you know, people were looking for a Messiah, but they weren't looking for one like Jesus. Jesus brought with Him qualities. Jesus brought with Him ministry that no one expected Jesus to do. No one expected this Messiah to be so humble. No one expected this Messiah to, to be so selfless and to, to serve and to wash the feet of his disciples. No one expected this Messiah to offer a prayer in the garden to his Father in heaven and to surrender himself to that Father's will. And as we're going to see today, no one expected this Messiah that they were looking for. No one expected him to be so generous in how he would give his life for people, specifically people who had sinned against him, people who had been living in rebellion to his nature and to his laws. 
And yet here Jesus is as he comes on this first Christmas, as he lives his life, which leads him to the cross in which he offers for us an unexpected sacrifice. There's a wonderful passage of Scripture, not that there's a part of Scripture that's not wonderful, but there's this really wonderful passage in Scripture in the book of Philippians. And in fact, I've referenced this passage every week now for four weeks in a row. This passage in Philippians, which tells us this about Jesus, that Jesus even though in Philippians chapter 2, even though he was in the form of God, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But Philippians 2 tells us how Jesus humbled himself, how he took upon him the form of a servant, how he came in the likeness of man, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. That is our focus today is on the unexpected sacrifice that Jesus made for his people. And the most obvious example of a sacrifice that Jesus made is in his death. That is the sacrifice that Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2 that Jesus will make. That he'll be obedient to the point of the ultimate sacrifice, the point of death, even death, not just any death, but a death on the cross. Let's look at that death that's recorded for us in Mark chapter 15, beginning in verse 22. It tells us that they brought him, Jesus, to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for, for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right hand and one on his left. That spot between those two criminals, that was done so that the Scripture would be fulfilled, the prophecy of this Messiah, that he be crucified between two thieves. Verse 29 tells us that, and those who passed, or back in verse 27 rather, with him were the, the two robbers, one was right, one was left. Those who passed by him derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priest with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he's calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. When Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last, 
And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the Son of God. The passage we just read, the event that's recorded in this passage we just read, the sacrifice of Jesus, his death on the cross, it is central to the gospel message. It is impossible to exaggerate the importance of of his sacrifice on the cross. The crucifixion, this sacrifice, is not a secondary theme in Scripture. It is at the core of the Bible. It's at the core of what God wants us to know. It's very interesting. If you read the biography of someone famous who was killed in some infamous way, maybe it's Abraham Lincoln or maybe it's JFK or, or Gandhi, you read someone famous who died in some famous way, not much of that biography is spent dealing with their death. Their death is only a tiny part of that story, but it's different with Jesus. Within a few hours or few years, rather, of his death, four biographies were written about him, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and his death occupies about a third of each of those biographies. The gospel writers understood the centrality of what happened on the cross. The sacrifice of Christ, some 2,000 years now after it happened, is the most important and remembered sacrifice in the history of the world. So we need to get a grasp of this sacrifice then. And to help us get a grasp of this sacrifice, I want to ask three questions. And since this is a Baptist church, ain't none of y'all going to answer them out loud, so I'll answer them for us, okay? Three questions about this sacrifice, and then we'll answer those questions this morning. The first question is this, how did Jesus offer this sacrifice? Was the death of Jesus, just another incident in a long history of people who died for a worthy cause? How did we get to this point to where Jesus offered this sacrifice? Scripture tells us that the sacrifice of Jesus, don't miss this, the sacrifice of Jesus was not something that happened to him, it was something done by him. I'm going to repeat that because I think that's very important for you to hear and to let it register with our minds today. His death was not merely something that happened to him, it was something done by him. You see, Jesus made this statement in John 10, 18, in speaking of his life, Jesus said, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own 
accord. Jesus was not a helpless victim. He could have called legions of angels to his defense, but he chose not to. Jesus chose to have this sacrifice. He chose to give this sacrifice for us. Jesus was not trapped by the religious leaders. Jesus wasn't surprised that he was arrested and tried and crucified. Jesus knew that he had come to earth for this moment and for this sacrifice to accomplish his purpose. His death was no accident. Neither was his birth. Neither was his life. None of that was an accident. It was God's plan from the beginning. That's how the Son of God ended up on a cross to offer a sacrifice that no one expected. He chose to embrace that Christ. How did he end there? He ended up there by his desire. How did Jesus end up on the cross? Because of his plan and because of his desire. But second question. And don't think, man, he's moving fast because I'm about to move slow. The second question, what was it like for Jesus to offer this sacrifice? This is the meat of what Mark tells us in the text. What was it like for Jesus to offer this sacrifice? It would be a an understatement for me to tell you this morning that death on a Roman cross was a long and agonizing, ugly way to die. What happened was not a pretty thing. It was an incredibly horrific thing. And I know that our minds and our our attention is focused on the Hallmark movie channel this season and we're waiting to see how the mailman will meet the girl he dated in fourth grade and they'll end up happily ever after. I know that we're in that season of wanting to find that, but we have to understand that Jesus was born not to give us feel-good moments, but that he was born to die. And that was his purpose. That's how he ended the cross. And we need to understand what happened on that cross the Romans did not invent crucifixion, but man, they perfected it. They learned how to do it very well from a very sadistic point of view. And in fact, they made it so horrible that it was illegal for a Roman citizen to be crucified. They wouldn't use it on themselves, but they would rather reserve it for the worst of their enemies. And, and they had a couple of purposes in their crucifixion process. Uh, one purpose is that they, they wanted to, to maximize the pain and the suffering of the one who was being crucified. They, they tweaked crucifixion in ways that made it possible to drag out the process and, uh, of, of agony over days and days. But they also wanted to, to crucify so severely and horrifically because they, they wanted to, to let other people know this is a warning. If you cross us, if you try to resist us and, and our occupation of you, this is what will happen to 
you. It might be a little uncomfortable this morning, but I believe it's very important that we understand something about the pain that Jesus experienced in this sacrifice for us because before he even got to the cross, he went through tremendous pain. As the Gospels tell us that they scourged him, that they would take that whip, that at the end of that whip would have pieces of, of metal or, or pottery or, or clay or, or the teeth of dead animals, and, and they would use that whip to, to lacerate the back of those crucifixion victims, so much so, so intensely, that the, 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 the Roman soldier in charge of that, if he was not very careful, he would end up killing the crucifixion victim before he ever got to the cross. But as he went through that process, and they finally got the victim to the cross, after that beating, they would place that cross upon the back of that condemned individual, and that person would have to carry that cross all the way to the place of their death, carrying the instrument of their death to the place in which they would die. And upon arriving at that place, that person would then be placed upon that cross, and they would be secured upon that cross as the soldiers would take two nails for the wrist and drive them deep into the wrist to keep them hung, hang, hanging there on the cross, and which they would cross the feet and do the same thing with the feet so that they could raise that cross, place it in its hole, in its place, and that victim of crucifixion could not move. He was literally nailed to that cross. From that point forward, if you can imagine, the condemned man would have to raise himself up as he tried to inhale a breath, and as he did that, the, the nails would, would tear against that flesh and the tendons causing searing pain, and when he could no longer make those breaths to keep himself up, as he exhaled, you can imagine his body would then sag upon the cross, further ripping those hands and those feet, and you recall that back that was lacerated so severely as it constantly for hours kept going up and down, up and down on the back of that cross. Death by suffocation, which you would think would be a horrible way to die by many victims of crucifixion. That death was desired and that death was welcomed when it would finally come. Death by the loss of blood could take hours and that's what the, the cost of the cross was for for Jesus. That's the price that he paid. But here Here's what's interesting. Out of all the stuff that we know about crucifixion, of all the records with the historical documents we read about how the, the Romans did it, the Gospels say very little about the physical suffering of Jesus. Did, did you notice that Mark simply said, and they crucified him? That's all he said. He did not go through the details. He simply said, and they crucified him. You ever read that and go, well, why didn't they elaborate? I think, I believe, and that the deepest suffering that Jesus experienced on the cross wasn't physical, as horrific as it was, but his deepest suffering was spiritual. 
What was it like for Jesus to be upon the cross? I I believe the, the spiritual suffering was so intense that it made his physical suffering seem almost inconsequential, almost like it just needed a statement to say that they crucified him. Look at what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Paul says, for our sake, our sake, my sake, your sake, for our sake, he, God the Father, made him to be sin who knew no sin, that's Jesus, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is what it was like for Jesus on the cross. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us. The only one to have never sinned became sin for our sake on the cross. Think about the darkest most horrible thing you've ever done. And remember the sense of pain over that thing you did that you would give anything to undo. Imagine experiencing the weight of that sin from everybody's life. Imagine the weight of Every single sin of every human being that has lived is living today or will live in the future. They don't have enough paper at Walmart to print all of your sins and all of mine. Imagine having all of that upon you. Imagine bearing the weight of every act of physical abuse in the history of the world. Imagine bearing the weight of every murder from Cain to today into the future, of every betrayal, of every mean and spiteful word. Imagine feeling the horror and despair of all of that sin on one person in one heart, the only pure heart that has ever taken a beat in this life. Imagine experiencing the judgment and anger of a righteous God toward all that sin solely upon you. Imagine in a garden of Gethsemane. We looked at the garden last week. Jesus cried out, my father. Okay, this is the audience participatory portion of our program. I'm warning you, okay? I'm telling you the answer ahead of time. I'm going to say it, then I'm going to say, what did he say? You're going to repeat what I said. Got it? The answer is father. Jesus said, the garden, my father. What did he call it? My what? Father. Not so on the cross. Did you notice on the cross, Mark tells us, he doesn't cry out, my Father, my Abba. He cries out, my God, my God. Eloi, Eloi. The experience of Jesus in his life has changed. 
Every moment of his life was spent in perfect intimacy with the Father, but now he bears the sins of the world. None of us know what it's like to be wholly forsaken by God. You may know what it's like to disregard God. You may know what it's like to be estranged from God. You may even know what it's like to disdain God, but you do not know what it's like to be separated from God. Even those who shake their fist in defiance of God enjoy the blessings of God. They enjoy food. They enjoy water. They enjoy breath that fills their lungs. Yet on the cross, Jesus experienced something that we can only imagine. As horrific as the physical suffering was, it was nothing compared to his spiritual suffering. Paul says in Galatians chapter 3 that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. My friend, Jesus became a curse from God the Father for us so that we who deserve to be cursed by God will never have to experience it. What was it like for Jesus on that cross? Christ suffered supernatural suffering and guilt that I will never know in life so that I can experience a supernatural healing and forgiveness that I could never earn. That's what it was like for Jesus. Third question, what difference does it make? What difference does this sacrifice make? So what? Jesus lived this life we could not live. He was born, as C.S. Lewis famously wrote, the Son of God became a man to enable men to become sons of God. What difference does his sacrifice make in that way? Let me make just a couple of statements to, to answer that question about the sacrifice of Jesus. The sacrifice of Jesus shows us the consequences of our sin. The cross shows us how horrific our sins are. Oh, you see, more and more in our culture, we try to whitewash sin. We try to downplay the seriousness of it. Oh, what I do isn't really that bad. Oh, what I do isn't really that bad compared to what somebody else does. And oh, the reason I did that that I know I shouldn't have done, but here's the reason I did that. And we try to whitewash it. We try to, to, to downplay it. We try to, to say that sin really isn't that big a deal. But my friend, the truth that you need to hear this morning, and that I need to hear this morning, is that truth always is, is our friend, and sin always hurts us. An illustration of how ugly and hurtful sin is, is found at the cross of Jesus. His death was so brutal because he bore in his body the brutal consequences of our sin. Every sin winds up at the cross. All of the all of the selfishness, all of the gossip, all of the greed, all of the pride, all of it was poured out on him that day. And it was our sin that put him there. The cross illustrates the final product of our disobedience to God. That's why it's important. It shows us our sin. 
But the sacrifice of Jesus also reveals the unlimited love of God. If you ever need to wonder if someone loves you, maybe someone in your house is no longer there because they said they don't love you. Maybe someone in a relationship that's soured has said they don't love you. If you ever doubt that someone loves you, you need to look at the cross. Because the cross is the clearest revelation of God's love for you. Isn't it the Bible that tells us that God shows His love for us in this way? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Had Jesus refused the cross, there would have been a limit to the love of God. There would have been a point beyond which the love of God would not go. But Jesus did not refuse the cross, and therefore it reveals to everyone that there is no limit to God's love for us. Jesus did all of this because God loves all of us that much. The sacrifice of Jesus reveals the unlimited love of God. The sacrifice of Jesus was the payment for our sins. This sacrifice of Jesus, His death on the cross, was the payment for our sins. See, Jesus simply did not die. Jesus died for us. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24 says, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree. He did not simply die. Jesus died for us, bearing in Himself our sins. On that horrible day when the sinless Son of God hung suspended between heaven and earth, He took upon Himself the sins of all men and He paid it all. He paid for our sins with His blood. Mark tells us that He cried out with a loud voice. The other Gospels tell us that He cried out, It is finished right before He took that last breath. That phrase, it is finished, is from a Greek word that has a financial meaning. It means paid in full. On the cross of Jesus Christ, the account of man was settled and the debt for my sin was wiped out and the payment for sin was made in full. Jesus did not say, I am finished. Jesus said, it is finished. It was not not a cry of failure or defeat. It was a cry of completion and of victory. And with his precious blood, Jesus paid it all. That's why this death this sacrifice is so important. It's because it was the payment for my sin. But I want to leave you with this idea. Is that sacrifice of Jesus is an invitation to all.
It's an invitation to all. His death some 2,000 years ago is still today an invitation to all people to return to God. Jesus forever changed the cross. Before Jesus, people went to the cross to die. After Jesus, people find in the cross life. And they go to the Savior on that cross, not to die, but to live. 2,000 years ago, the perfect Son of God died a painful death on a shameful cross for sinful man. And when he cried, it was finished. He was announcing a new way that leads into the presence of God. That's why you see the veil of that temple, Mark tells us. The veil of that temple was torn from top to bottom. Because before that, if someone wanted access to God, they had to go through that veil. They had to go through a priest, but the ultimate priest of God when he died on that cross forever removed the separation between man and God he became the solution for man to have a relationship with God and today my friend you you are invited to enter that way but here's what I want to leave you with the death of Jesus as marvelous as it was for our benefit, does you no good if you don't give your life to that Savior who offered the unexpected sacrifice? I can't recall, Dr. Jackson may have to help me remember later who said this, but Someone once said that the good news of the gospel, the gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. The gospel is only good news if it settles in your heart and you embrace this Jesus who gave his life for you. Has there been a time in your life when you simply said to God that you were a sinner? Has there been a time in your life when you confessed that sin to God, that you agreed with God on what He has said about your sin? Has there ever been a time in your life when you simply asked God to save you? It is finished. Has there ever been a time that you've told Jesus that you're placing your faith in His perfect life in his death on the cross for you. I don't know what's going to be under your tree come Saturday. I don't know what you got set under your tree right now. But I do know everything under that tree one day is going to get old. One day it's going to break. You may even after church next Sunday take whatever's under that tree and take it right back to Walmart. It could even be something from Jared himself under that tree that begins with K. It's nothing in eternity. It's all going to perish and burn away. 
You can put it on you if you want to when you line your casket, but it ain't going with you. You can leave it on this earth. You can let your kids fight over it. That's fine. That's not going to do you a lick of good in eternity. There is a gift for which you won't have to pay a dime. The cost has already been paid. There is a gift that once you receive it, you have no desire to return it. And God has promised he's never going to take it back from you. There is a gift called salvation today that if you will simply ask for it, the greatest giver of all gifts will give it to you freely. A gift only does you good if you open it, if you take it. Today, Jesus is offering a gift of salvation. Will you take it? I'm going to pray. After I pray, we're going to stand and sing. If you have a question about what it means to follow Jesus, if you have a question about what it means to ask Jesus into your heart to be your Lord and Savior, you can ask us here down front. We've got deacons and, and staff here who'll be glad to, to talk with you about that. If you don't want to come down in front of people, I'm going to be after this service. I'm going to be at this little desk. It's right behind that wall there. It's got the word next, the words next step on it. And I, I, can't, I can't give you that gift, but I would love to introduce you to a man who can. Maybe when we pray in just a second, you would need to pray out to God. Maybe God's got you at that point right now. And you know you need a Savior. And you know Jesus is the Savior you need. When I pray, would you simply just pray right where you are? There's no magic words. There's no formula. It's simply the cry of your heart. And even as you're praying, if you think you're messing a word up, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that there is a Holy Spirit that God uses to intercede for us so that when we, we pray and we don't really know what to pray, He steps in and helps us and makes our heart clear to God. So you just cry out to God today. Say, Pastor, I've made that decision a long time ago. Again, the good news is only good if it gets there in time. Don't worry so much about what you need to give a family member this week that you find under a tree. Worry about the good news of the gospel that you can share with them what Jesus has done with you. What a time. What a time. You can go into the most secular store on the face of this earth and they've got music playing about Jesus. About a manger. About a holy night. What an opportunity this week you have to tell somebody about Jesus. For how sad a commentary would it be about my life if Starbucks told somebody more about Jesus than I did. Or that Target told somebody more about Jesus through their songs than I did. May it not be said of me. And may it not be said of us who follow Jesus. Father God, I thank you that Jesus did for me what I could never do for myself. That Jesus offered an unexpected sacrifice. So I could have eternal life. And Father, right now in this room, there may be those who've never experienced that eternal life, and maybe they're crying out to you right now. We praise God for that. Lord, thank you for those decisions that are being made. We may not see them, 
But each and every one of us will make a decision today regarding our relationship with you. So, Father, in this moment, in this minute, would you speak to our hearts? Would you simply have us surrender to you? In Jesus' name, amen.